It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas, he gets such a shit shot next Saturday evening that we put him back in their houses for 10 years. Okay, Colin, so we know seven of the teams in the quarterfinals in Dublin. That's where we're going to start. We don't know the eight because Rahini had a positive um, test. Um, so the game against Plunkett yesterday was pulled off the television and we saw Kilmico Crooks against Castle Knock um, instead. We'll get to that in a second. Scary's Harps, true. Great stuff for Scary's Harps. I'm on the Scary's Harps uh, bandwagon. Might be a step up in the quarterfinals for you. I don't, I don't know, uh, Conning. A lot of big teams gone through. Ballymun Kickhams, St. Jude's, Nafina, Ballyboden, Vincent's. <laughs> like, I mean, when's the draw for that? Like, I mean, there's no easy game left in it. You'd be looking maybe at Rahini potentially if to be Plunkett's as the best draw, no? Well, the, the draw was made last night, and oh, we was have it? Uh, St. Jude's. Yeah, so um, I, I suppose this is the part now where I just play it down and say we're just really happy to. to <laughs> <laughs> and say so Jude's be favourite. How did I miss that? How, any any of the big teams draw each other? They must have. Um, Ballymun and the Fina sort of stands out. Right. Um, Vincent's and Crooks, but Vincent's aren't really the same the same team they were. And like it's funny you're talking about Rahini. Obviously, they still have a chance to get through to the quarterfinals. But what's awaiting them is Ballyboden, so it's not as appetising anymore. Like you know, the thought of getting through to the last eight. Yeah, you mentioned Vincent's being through. Like, I mean, they hammered Clontarf. They look decent. Like, I mean, I saw highlights of this. Um, the only problem for them is Dear McConnelly went off with a hamstring injury. He was icing it, icing it on the bench um, after that. So, like, I mean, without Connolly, they'd have no, they'd have no chance there. I, I don't think so. Like, the only thing I don't know we'll, we'll probably talk about Connolly's magic, but like that was sort of what I think of Vincent's all the time. You know, they just turn somebody over. They have a high press. And it was Chris Barrett who lost the ball. And then it's just turned over and goal. Like they're the most ruthless team that I've that I've come across. And if they still have that age, then a mistake, you know, could cost a team. I remember Bally Mun just gave the ball away in one of those finals they played in. And 
bang goal, and that, that's how the game was decided a couple of years ago. Did he just punish every single mistake? Yeah, like I saw on the depends on the headline about Connolly's sublime pass, and I yeah. saw it on the Hogan stand. It's like, Jesus Christ! Like I mean, I've seen that man give some brilliant passes. This was well down the list of it. And if you want to go on about brilliant passes, Philly McMahon gave a better pass to Dean Rock on the run, off the outside of his boot, over a defender's head for, um, I think it was only a Dean Rock uh, point. But at the same time, we saw some unbelievable passes in the Castle Knock um in the Castle Knock and Kilmacud game, yeah. Shane, Bo- Shane Boland, like some sensational balls. I think when you have a reputation for being a good passer, they, people go to town on some of these passes because the GEA tweeted out Connolly's pass and you have different people saying, what a genius. Holy shit, off the inside of his boot from a standing position. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> this, yeah, that was nothing special. Like, I actually agree with you. <laughs> you know, I am... Um... I saw it and like I, I think Jamie Connolly would nearly be a bit embarrassed to hear people talking like that because I agree. it's a twenty-five meter pass. It, it went over one man's head. Like what he took one man out of it. Like how many times have we seen him take two, three, four men out of it? Yeah. As you say, he can do he's done far more. I think that was a, a six out of ten pass for him. A, a really nice pass that sort of set them on the way for a goal, but nothing hard for him. Yeah, routine pass. The one thing that was most surprising in that clip was Mossy Quinn was the one who who uh, dispossessed uh, uh, Barrett. There was some sensational hassling for him. Something Mossy Quinn's never been really known for. What was he doing out there and why was he working so hard? That's what I want to know. Part of me thought he got a bit lucky. He was just swinging his arms and then it looked like Barrett was free and then one fist seemed to catch the ball and it just slipped out. Uh, I'd say he was about to just give up on the tackle at that stage. So a lot of new faces in the Vincent's team, all right. That like I mean, they have Sean Lowry and Greg Murphy in the full forward line. Two young lads, not imported. They they scored one two and a very good goal from Lowry. Um, you know, two new wing backs that I wouldn't have known too much about. Um, so there definitely seemed to be in a rebuilding phase. Jer Brennan, our own Jer Brennan came on in the fiftieth minute. It's getting like Conor McGregor, this uh, Brennan fella. Now you can't trust his retirements at all. <laughs> yeah, when you see him and Eamon Fennell and stuff like striding around, you're thinking, Jesus, like how how long can this go on? Like the only thing with uh, Connolly's injuries, they've got two weeks um, before they're before they're back out again against Kilmacud Crook. So you know if he gets patched up, everything's still going through him. You still have Massey Quinn ripping it up. So uh, you can't really rule out Vincent's either. But no, I, I wouldn't. I, w- I wouldn't rule out Vincent's. Like I mean, I'm never overly impressed with Kilmacud Crooks when I see them. Like Castle Knock were the better team as far as I could see. Um, yesterday they kicked it away with a lot of wides they were 1-2 to no score down and after that then they were by far the better team in the fir- for the rest of the first half like I mean Kilkenny gave a masterclass destroyed um, Keen O'Sullivan who looks completely out of sorts um, I think Kilkenny had three points in the first eight minutes after going 1-2 to no score down um, like I mean I don't know what your take on the game was but for me I thought Castle not deserved to win the game no, like, I think Castlenock definitely dominated the match. And, like, you mentioned Shane Boland. He was brilliant. Like, I actually felt sorry on him at the start. He cut two marks and we missed both of them because of replays being shown on the TV. Um, and the commentator just said that Shane Boland had caught it. But uh, Tommy McDaniel inside was destroying the cornerback. Like, he was just a ball-winning machine. The only thing about Kilmacud Crokes is that, well, I think they were already through anyway, but they also just have these options. Like you mentioned Kieran Kilkenny, he had four points in 15 minutes, but in the second half, they moved Andy McGowan on him and then yeah. they didn't really silence him. And it's just, they have that ability. Like if it's Keanu Sullivan or Rory O'Carroll or Andy McGowan, that's just in defence. They can move these people around and, and rejig their team. And I think Castle Knock didn't score for the last 10 minutes, you know, when they really should have. And they're like Kilmacud around the 14 men. And it's just that press as well that they put on. It's just so... 
they're so strong and agile, every one of them, that they they put you under a lot of pressure and teams seem to tire against them. Yeah, well, I thought, like, because uh, the last I'd heard of Castle Knock when they got to the county final that year is that they were a very defensive team. I saw them. They were a very, very defensive team. They've abandoned that those tactics now. Like, I mean, they, were, they, they, they weren't dropping uh, men back behind the ball, you know, not that many. They were pressing up high as well. So, like, I mean, it was a decent game to watch, even though it was uh, pretty low scoring. Like, I mean... It, poor Keno Sullivan looks a shadow of the player that he was. Like, I mean, you mentioned McGowan tying up Kilkenny, and he did, but he followed him everywhere. And Keno Sullivan didn't know whether to follow Kilkenny, yeah. whether to drop. Then he made a few forays up the field, ended up over carrying and picking the ball up off the ground. And Jesus Christ, the poor man didn't know whether he was coming or going, did he? It was it was unusual to see him so poor. Yeah, and, and I was thinking about the Kilkenny thing in the first 15 minutes, first half especially. It was hard because he was going so deep and picking up ball and then ghosting into space. But but it's Kieran Kilkenny. He knows he's going to be really dangerous. So surely yeah. he should have somebody tagging him. So I started thinking, yeah, even if Kieran Sullivan's playing centre-back and he wants to hold that forward, it's more important to go after Kilkenny. And that's a bad defensive job if you're letting him off and just trying to hold the 45 because... The team is going to look for Kilkenny again at some stage, and it's better to to follow him. It's it's brain dead, really, at club level for Castle Knock. Keep Kieran Kilkenny quiet, and you've you've you know what I mean. Man mark him. There's no logic to him playing centre forward and let him forage without following him. There's no logic to it at all. I thought um, it's Seamus O'Carroll. The Limerick player had an absolute nightmare in the first half. God almighty, nothing went right for him. And then he went in full forward in the second half and he had a really good game. He looked dangerous, capable of doing the odd stupid thing, but has a lot has an awful lot of uh has an awful lot of pace. Did you notice Kilkenny going mad with him at one stage because O'Carroll didn't offload a pass to Kilkenny as he's running past him, no? Uh, is that the time well, for Carroll's first point? Yes, because I remember Kilkenny sort of taking a little huff and just turning away, and then the ball ended up going over the bar. And I, I was dying to see the clip of Kilkenny then. Did he say well done, or you know, did he yeah. cough softened or anything like that? Because he but scored I, a point. Yeah, he scored a brilliant point, and like Kilkenny wasn't throwing goals. Kilkenny, if anything, it wasn't a ball to give Kilkenny. He was on the outside of him. There was no way through on goals, and I was surprised because Kilkenny kind of shouted like, "What the fuck?" I don't know. You know, he shouted something expletive. And that would have put O'Carroll off. Like, it wasn't a very nice thing to do to a teammate. And you would never have seen Kilkenny doing that um, with Dublin. So I was just surprised. And then O'Carroll got a, got another point um, and kind of came into the game a little bit. So, like, I mean, I was interested to see him. Mickey Mullen had a brilliant block at the end. He's a proper proper no-nonsense cornerback, Mickey Mullen. He had been trash-talking O'Carroll um, before that. He'd gone around with a moustache and a mullet. There's no mess, no forays up the field by Mickey Mullen. Mickey Mullen is just a proper old-school cornerback. Yeah, but he was he was struggling in the first half with McDaniel, but like he really um when he needed him, like it was McDaniel he blocked for that goal chance at the at the very end. So uh he came to grips. He definitely looks like a throwback. Like we watched a lot of those games here in lockdown. He, he wouldn't be out of place in the nineties just playing with that mullet. Yeah. So that's I'd say that's probably yeah, Ballymun and Athena, you'd imagine Ballymun could end up running out of easy winners in that one. Kilmacud and Vincent's probably the most fifty fifty for me. Now you're the you're our uh, Dublin club football correspondent, so like I mean, I'll take your opinion um, over my one on that. So you think you think Kilmacud will 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 take Vincent's? Just about. I'm I'm always reluctant to to rule out Vincent's, but uh, ever since they was a Ballyboden that hammered him in the group stage, there I've just started rethinking oh, yeah. rethinking things about them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the hurling on TV was a lot more Castellani versus Kill Ruan McDonough's. 
Um, and I was starting to lose a bit of interest in this. Lockmore Castellani um, went eight points up at one stage. Um, Evan Sweeney was in great form. He is 36 years old, playing for 20 years. He was wearing number 21. He scored 2-3. His, his second goal was absolute, uh, you know, a brilliant goal. And then their goalkeeper made a balls of two goals and suddenly um, Kiruan are back in it. And suddenly there's a grandstand finish. And, it, you know, it needed some great bit of defending uh, towards the end. And a brilliant free that Evan Sweeney won himself, you know, to get that that extra score, that insurance score to kind of push it out to two and they could relax a little bit, Conan. Yeah, like you talk about, um, you know, people overhyping Jeremy McConnelly's pass. The, was it the second mistake, the high ball in? Um, I think it was Willie Cleary who tries to catch it and he just dropped the ball and it went in and the commentators were creaming themselves and I thought, oh my God, what have I missed? I thought he might have flicked it in with his hands and he, he just tried to catch it and it dropped into the net. Like, you know, and out of nowhere, Lockmore Castellani were just hanging on to this match. And like, it's it's interesting. I didn't realize that Evan Sweeney was 36 because you see that second goal where he drops uh, drops his shoulder and goes left. Yeah. Like, it was like a teenager just bursting onto the scene at corner forward. It was a... Uh, Ah, it was, it was nothing else from a 36-year-old to have that turn of pace still. Two years ago, I was reading in some cup game in Tipperary, he started in goals because their goalkeeper was injured. So he played in goals and the game went to extra time and he came out of goals and went up in the forwards in extra time and scored four four points for play. <laughs> like, I mean, this lad's a club a club legend. He played for Tip um, back in the early noughties. He got a chance but never really fully made it. But this was the best one. I heard in a long time. So I was listening to the interviews after this. Evan Sweeney was interviewed. Nothing special in that one. Then Frankie McGrath, the Lockmore Castellani manager, um, was interviewed. He's the Three McGrath's uh, uncle. So he, he he had a quote here, and I, I was nearly knocked off my, my sofa when I was listening to this. So he says, this is almost like this is some huge insight into something that he'd heard, some incredibly um, interesting, you know, theory on Gaelic games. And he says, every game takes on a life of its own. It's a saying I heard from a good friend of mine down in Rathdowney, John Delaney. He hurled with Leash for years. And like John would be of the opinion, every game takes on a life of its own. That's one of the most worn out GA cliches I've ever heard. He's never heard a Brian Cody interview if if Frankie McGrath is coming to us with every game takes on a life of its own. Like it's some sort of profound kind of, you know, incredible quote from John Delaney who hurled from Leash years ago. Yeah. I love that he's crediting a friend in Leash for coming up. <laughs> heard this now, a good one. Yeah, you, you might not hear this now. He's of a strong belief that every game takes on a life of its own. I saw, I saw this quote in your uh, production notes, and I was like, oh, what? what, what are we talking about this for? Like, I couldn't. I thought you were actually thinking this was a good quote, so I'm happy you're taking the piss out of it. <laughs> an absolute classic, an absolute classic. So sticking on the hurling team, Austin Gleeson was sent off again. Mount Sion um, beat De La Salle. That was a huge win for them. Um, they haven't won it in a long time, and De La Salle would have been favourites to win that. So he was sent off on a straight red last weekend in the last game, and he got off that. Apparently, luckily enough, because he was sent off, I think it was only after two minutes he got sent off in the last round. Now, this was two very debatable yellow cards, according to Stephen O'Keefe, who's his Waterford teammates and obviously Bally Gunner player. And they're in the semi final, and now Mount Sion are in the semi final. And Stephen O'Keefe says, as a neutral, very soft cards. I wonder if it wasn't Austin Gleeson, would they have been? Uh, would they have been yellows? So, like, I mean, apparently harshly sent off, threw the hurl into the dugout. Um, Austin Gleeson. So, like, I mean, very frustrated. You don't know whether to feel sorry for these fellas, or they're being targeted, or you know, like, I mean, then again, if you look at it the other way, he's just got off a red card. 
So, you know, don't be, don't be putting yourself in any danger. Can you tell me the logic behind that though? Like, you know, why why would Gleeson be targeted? Because I I would always be of the opinion that the county players get away with more at club level because the refs they like them and they look up to them. And you know, I I would think if somebody was refereeing an Austin Gleeson match, it would be very kind to Austin Gleeson. Yeah, it depends on the character. I would put maybe Joe Canning or somebody or Shami Callanan into that category. But yeah, Austin Gleeson can 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 be bowled a little bit on the field at times and. Maybe referees kind of watch him and might take pleasure in sending him out. There, there, you know what I mean? There's two yeah. sides to that. I've, I've definitely had referees who would take pleasure in giving you a yellow card. Do you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or getting on to you. They will get a kick out of it. Um, I think that definitely happens. Um, Lismore 2.22 against Abbeyside 3.11. Lismore into the semi-final. Morris Shanahan only won 11 this time for Morris. Very disappointed with his uh, return. One four from play. Um, you know, like, I mean, this is incredible. Lismore, um, they've played three games in the championship. They've scored 10 goals, 62 points in three games. Shanahan has scored 338 of that. And we've, we have analysed Morris Shanahan last week about, is he going to get back in? Um, who knows? But like, I mean, 338 in three championship matches, semi-final match now against Bally Gunner, who are going for seven in a row. That's going to be the huge test of Morris Shanahan. If Morris Shanahan plays well and puts up a big score against Ballygunner. Liam Cahill, you cannot ignore that man. Like, I mean, this is just not possible. <laughs> He's working his way back into the top 50 anyway, so he, he might get a call <laughs> to the to trials next year for 2021. Yeah, so the semi-finals there, Ballygunner against Lismore and then Mount Sion play passage in um, in the other semi-final. Funnily enough, a fella sent me a picture of Dan Shanahan. He must have come on. He had um, I've never seen this before. I sent him a text to find out what, what it was all about, but he hasn't got back to me. Um, he had a big number 10 and a big number 14 written on his calf muscles. Have you any theory on what the hell that could have been? Now, I like number 10 and number 14 would probably be Dan's two favourite positions. But why would he have them written in big writing on the back of his calf muscles? Like, that's not for him. Is that for the goalkeeper behind him if he comes on a full forward? I... I'm a little bit like usually if somebody sends me a picture, I would just brush it off. But I'm intrigued as to what number 10 and number 14 written in very, very big writing down the back of his calves. Is that for his marker standing behind him? What is it for, Conan? Please help me. <laughs> well, maybe it's exactly for that. If you were marking him now, like you're you're really confused. Thinking about it. Like what? Is it a tattoo? No, they're not tattoos. They're written in, in like black marker. Then it probably is just some sort of genius tactic to, like, you know, uh, I don't know. Sorry for just throwing that at you, Conan. That's kind of out of the field. I might try and find out the answer of that. Well, I will try and find out when Dan comes back to me for, for Thursday's show, if he'll tell me. So down club football, it was all about comebacks. Caelan Mooney came back. Um, that was his first game in championship action eight and a half months after he got a really bad head injury. So he was he was assaulted on the street over Christmas, you know, I think himself and his brother. And, you know, he was in hospital after that. So he's back in competitive action. Pete McGrath said he's playing just as he did prior to the incident that occurred. As far as I'm concerned, he's back. He's just like every other player. So it's nice to see him. I'm a huge fan of Caelan Mooney. Fella, like Jack McCaffrey, Caelan Mooney, these fellas who have just come such blinding pace that when they get the ball, you'll you'll just kind of instinctively get up off your seat. Mm. Oh, he's, he's, he's electrifying, isn't he? Um, he was told he was out for six months as well in December. So the way the season has fallen sort of suited him perfectly. Apparently he was back training with everybody at the start of training again at the end of June. Um, and actually, a, a nice sort of quirk about that game that the, it was they were playing Down Patrick. 
Uh, Ross Trevor was where Mooney's from, but his fiance is from Downpatrick, and she's the physio for the other team. So he was Very playing good. against his, his fiance. But um, yeah, no, apparently he's flying. Apparently he's even fitter as well. So like somebody in his club was telling me that endurance isn't always his, his big thing, which I was a bit surprised at. But he said yeah. he's always powerful. But he said his endurance is really high now at the minute. Right, interesting that I thought that would have improved in his time out in Australia at least, because they do a lot of that uh, endurance. Pete McGrath is obviously the Ross Trevor manager. We mentioned that on the show. Um, not so long ago. Cuckoo won, won well on Friday night. I think you were t- tweeting about Jerome Johnson's last goal comparing it to Lewandowski. Um, <laughs> Dylan Keating, interestingly enough, from Ballymun Kickham's had a similar goal, didn't he? Like from 21, just to kind of a rocket into the into that bottom corner. Yeah, like I, from, I, I don't know about you, but for me, the 21 is not where you go for goals. Like that, that is just sort of, that's prime for the best goal scorers, like the real hitmen. I always oh, have yeah. to be in the third team before I start thinking about that, but Johnson's just like in the same, like you mentioned the Ballymun game, like Johnson just drills it, doesn't even hit the ground, just goes right into the bottom corner before it hits the ground. It's a, That's how you put it away. That is how you put it away. I could never shoot from there. I'm the same. I, had the mo- I actually, when I think about it, it's a terribly feeble shot. I would, I'd never had a, I was never a good goal scorer. And I think part of that reason is just a feeble, weak shot on me. Like it just no kind of power behind it. Even, you know, like you should be able to generate power off the outside of your boot, you know, off the laces. Yeah. I, I, I really need to catch it flush for it to whiz off it. I just, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why, but a really miserable, feeble. So when you see goals like that, it's like... Uh, Wow, you know that that's 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 really impressive. Another very impressive um, uh, thing coming out of that game was Darrow Hanlon made a comeback. So he came on in the very last few minutes of that, and I hadn't realised uh, Darrow Hanlon. Like we knew he was missing for Cuckoo last year, and he would have made a huge difference to their All Ireland um, bid. But he's been out for twenty seven months. So this poor fella, this happens every now and then when. You you hear of a player that's been out that long, and you wonder, geez, how did he how did he get back? Yeah. So it started off with just a tight hamstring. This was a piece uh, a piece with him in the Irish News. Um, I was reading start reading. It started off with a tight hamstring. Then it kind of went up into his neck. Then there was pain shooting down his calf, and he was having to take uh, painkillers just to get asleep. And he couldn't understand what it was. And it got to the point where it went down into his calf, and his foot stopped working. He couldn't lift up his heel. So he knew there was something serious wrong with him, but he didn't know what it was. He was trying physios, chiropractors, osteopaths, all sorts of stuff, went to healers. And like, I, to be honest with you, I don't know what the hell he was doing all that for. The first thing I would do is go get an MRI scan. Like, I mean, he ended up after five months going for an MRI scan. And the MRI scan um, showed that he had a bulging disc close to the base of his spine. Like, would that not have been the right advice for poor uh, Darrow Hanlon? To get the MRI scan, you know, after a month, especially when it was kind of a mystery to the physios. What kind of physios was he going to, Conor, that weren't, weren't advising him on this? Yeah, and I wonder where the, the healers thing came from and stuff as well. Like, the amount of alternatives that you can try without actually just... I, you would get the MRI scan first, and, you know, if it's all clear, then you can start looking at these other things because nothing else is working. But that seems a lot of waste of time and probably more damage done in the long run like you know by not getting an MRI scan yeah unless it was a like I don't know was it the, the cost of it because like even like I've I've had a hamstring injury where I've known it's a hamstring injury and I was sent for an MRI scan to see the extent of it do you know what I mean like uh, this is something you don't know what it is like an MRI scan for me is the obvious thing to do anyways so to remove that disc after seeing he had the bulging disc. But because it went for so long as a bulging disc in pain, it had it had squashed the nerve um, 
altogether. So the pain in the last couple of months got really excruciating and worse because the bulging disc had, had completely destroyed one of his nerves. So he had to get another operation on that. So now this is pushing him back even further. So there was a huge risk involved to the to the operation um, to fix the nerve or take out the nerve, whatever he did. He ended up doing that. That became a success. Then he came back on June the 27th, 2019. This is after being almost two years out of the game. First comeback training session, he did his cruciate. His cruciate. Like, I mean, you're almost laughing saying it about the, heart, at the bad luck. Not only did he do his cruciate, he destroyed it. He had torn his ACL. Um, he did his medial ligament and he suffered a bone laceration. He needed a total knee reconstruction, a whole new knee. Another year. So now he's only made his comeback the other night against Mayo Bridge. Like, he's only 27. Like he could only wish um, wish uh, Dara the very best of luck, and hopefully he'll hopefully that's all behind him now. That's her. That's horrific. Twenty seven months. So it's unbelievable, and like it must be hard to be the same player because you know him as a little jinky creative player, but coming back in your first session and doing something as freakish as your cruciate and needing the whole whole other reconstruction. Never mind, sort out your back and your neck. It's Jeez, like you wonder, could you ever get to that those same levels again? But fair play to him. It couldn't have been easy watching Kilku do so well and then lose the final an extra time and stuff. But he's back, and like, geez, you can only imagine the journey he's been on. Yeah, the big three in Donegal all won easily. The big three in Donegal are obviously Kilcar, Nave Connell, and Guidor. Um, uh, Guidor won. Yeah, Kilcar hammered Glenn Squilly. That was Michael Murphy's club, which was surprising enough. They've obviously slipped. Um, back since they were able to win county county finals. Nave Connell, interestingly enough, um, hammered Terman. Now you might say that's not interesting enough, but it is interesting. There was six to six eighteen to eight points. Terman is only a small little town, and they won the minor championship last year, the minor A, and they got into an Ulster final. They were beaten by Lavi. Um, so they obviously came up with a brilliant minor team to put seven of them into the senior team against Nave Connell. And the poor chaps were absolutely beaten out the gate. So you don't know, like, is that doing them any good? You could, you could, I suppose you could analyze that, say, well, there's their taste now of what it takes to be a senior player. You could go that route or you could go, geez, those young lads will never be the same again after a beating like that. So I don't know which side you come down on. Oh, I can only imagine how, like, Leo McLoone and Anthony Thompson would be treating those minors coming through. <laughs> like, you know, they'd be eating them up. Um, look, I think it's it's very early to throw that many people in, but I'd say in a small town like Terman, they've put all their eggs in this minor basket and yeah. they've obviously got a really good team and that's going to be the spine of their team for the next 10, 15 years. And yeah, I'd say they will. They probably will learn a lot from that because now you during the winter, this team is used to winning all those players. They know now like the standard and the the strength and conditioning level that they have to get up to and, and they'll probably start making making inroads towards doing that. Tough day for them, but it'll be good in the long run. Tough day at the office. And here's a good stat coming out of that game. Nave Connell scored six goals. Um, five of their six goals came from defenders. Isn't that just pure Nave Connell? Like, I mean, the only the only <laughs> the only forward uh, to score was uh, McGinn uh, Charles McGuinness. Uh, Anthony Thompson, Ethan O'Donnell, Kevin McGettigan, um, AJ Gallagher scored two. Defenders, bizarre. Five of six goals. The game's changing, Conan. The game's gone. <laughs> Anthony Thompson has always been in the vicinity for every goal scored that I can remember, especially for Donegal. He's just he's just there lurking around. We talk about Kieran Malloy following every single play up to the up to the end line. Anthony Thompson's the exact same. You watch those games against Dublin. He's always there to be like it was Ryan McHugh that scored him and Colin McFadden. Thompson is there as an option. Uh, the the Michael Murphy goal in 2012. Thompson is there to pop it off to, but. 
he's just there in the vicinity, so he's always following it in. And it's great to see he got his just rewards against Terman. Yeah, well, we you know, part of those tactics is that the defenders have license just to go, and that was it. Like, I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. Carrick Moore are out in Tyrone. Uh, that's knockout, as we know. Uh, that's Conor Gormley, Martin Penrose's club. They're the 15 time champions. Killy Clogher um, beat them. 213 to 210. No other huge storylines that I could see coming out of Tyrone. Armagh, Pierce Oak beat Madden. Um, this was on Saturday. They got into the semi finals on penalties. First time in the history of Armagh Championship has a game been decided on penalties. You know, Armagh's at knockout as well, which is a little bit disappointing for Armagh. Usually they run off a better club championship. Um, so it's Paul Duffy. He was the hero. Um, Pierce Oak, the 153. Josh Sheridan missed for Madden. I don't know if you saw this penalty shootout. You, uh, Sheridan tried to place it into the top corner, uh, got under it and stuck it over the bar. So did the usual, you know, put the jersey up and covered his head, lifted the jersey up over and covered his head, you know, after after missing it, you know, just completely distraught, a bit like the soccer players. Um, interestingly, Paul Duffy uh, was brought back on at the end of extra time, knowing that it'd probably go to penalties and he was brought back on and took the winning penalty. He's on the go, a veteran of 20 years, like I've already mentioned. So loads of drama um, in Armagh. Seemed like there was a good crowd at that as well. I know it's penalties and I know that the camera I was looking at from was in the stand close enough to the crowd, but there was a big, fairly big roar when this was going on. So history made in the Armagh Championship. I saw somebody was doing a Facebook Live and they, they ran around behind the goals for the penalties. And you can just hear someone like effing and blind that. There must have been a steward telling me to get away from behind the goals. No one was allowed behind the goals. And, and he was shouting, saying, it's Facebook Live. It's like, I don't give a fuck. Get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and you just see him go, fuck sake. And the phone goes back down to the ground and he walks away. It's, um, county, county board officers all protecting their live streaming. There's no doubt about that. We're not going to, we're going to, if that went to, that was advertised, that went to penalties, you could get an extra 20 people paid a fiver to watch the penalties. So yeah. we're not going to let any Facebook Lives um, go out there. John Horan had an interview in the Irish Independent on Saturday, and he said that he would like to see all inter-county games conclude by early August, very similar to what the GPA have asked, and he wants the the season split, right? So he wants he's also advocating now ending the April club window. Now, are we being finally vindicated on this show, or like I mean this? This is constant on this show that April for club is a complete waste of time. You're having to train for two seasons in one season for club players. The clubs, the split season has always been our favoured uh, uh, structure, even though, you know, we've talked about potentially how it would work doing it, you know, one after another. It doesn't work. Um, they all talk about focus. So now John Horan is on this uh, ball game. I think he sent the fixtures task uh, committee back to try and see how they can make this work. Uh, if you're going to run a season from February until the end of March, what better way to do that than to make the league your championship and play the provincials before that? It fits perfectly into that time uh, frame, Conan. There's no messing around. And this is what can f- save the whole GEA season. Everybody's on board. And again, it's all my idea. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to agree with you on that one, but uh, I'm happy that you got your, your soapbox to, to push your championship restructure plan again. But that's it. Now, it's interesting that uh, it's interesting, finally, that the penny is landing with all these people with the split season, because there's always opposition to these kind of things. And when people then actually see it and see it working and see that county players are with their clubs and it's exclusive and it's all great. People just oppose things 
for no reason, don't they? Like, I mean, it's very frustrating. And now that they've seen it and seen it working, now everybody seems to be on the line that this split season works an awful lot better. Mm, there's there's also been a lot of mad stuff that's been proposed, though, and, like, you know, like how many arguments have we had about, say, rule changes and stuff like that? Like, if I'm imposing something, I know you think I'm a, a doomsday merchant, but, like, I'm always just looking for somebody to give me a proper reason for doing it without just jumping straight into it. And, like, the split season, I never really saw a problem with that. I always thought it was mad that you were taking a month in April when you could just shift the season up by a month instead of yeah. just taking a whole month. And, like, that made the club championship worse as well because some players didn't play because they have a, a championship coming up in May. And, like, you just weren't a club championship pace either. It was April. You were, like, two months into your season. So, um, no, like, this makes way more sense. And it also, like, I think that's what, what Ashley McConville said or John Horn said. It's like, it gives... It gives people a chance to see the club players, and then that sort of builds appetite going into county. Because now we're talking about more Sh- Shanahan, how well he's playing. It's a more natural sort of evolution into the county team then when you're when you're watching all the club games first. Yeah, well, that's that's one thing there. So Ushina Conville agrees with that. Um, he, Ushina Conville wants to see. He was, I think, he was an RT somewhere. He said, "I would like to see the clubs get the start of the year with the inter county to follow. We can build a season and hopefully have something that we'll have this year." Um, we can build a season and hopefully have something that we'll have this year, but maybe not as late in the year. The club scene has got a new lease of life uh, since we resumed lockdown, etc., etc. Now, I don't agree with the club season coming first because I think it's it's messy. You have the situation up in Donegal. You have the situation in other counties that county team is still training. You still have the situation where, you know, like, I mean, the inter-county season on the horizon of the county players and they've been slightly distracted by that. Like, I mean, if the club comes second, there is no, there is nothing. The county players can just finish their county season and then 100% give their focus to the club without any distractions for the rest of the year. I don't see the logic in putting the clubs first when there is a slight conflict of interest. Whereas if the club comes second, there is no conflict of interest. And plus, people are talking about putting the club first like Oisin. Like if there's an All-Ireland Provincial Championships and All-Ireland Club Championships, like, I mean, when does the inter-county season start then at that rate? Like, I mean, you can start the, the the club season and play it to a finish um, from the start of August right through to the end of of uh, November. And I'd say that would all fit in unless he he obviously wants it to do the other way around where the club season gets the first four months and then the inter-county season starts at the first of July. Uh, I don't I don't I don't know about that. No, that's that's actually that's a fair point because I wasn't even thinking about you know, the All-Ireland Championship in the, in the club scene as well you could just finish that off in November like like you say and there would be a good buzz coming back from club as well like so if you were off the first half of the year like and it, it, it solves the exam problems in May it solves like people in college you're coming back and you start training again in June July like you know you're coming into a club season in August it would be a a good bit of a buzz for that more people home yeah well that's yeah. it but like I mean club club would play away with their league the whole way through the inter-county season. It's not like club players would have nothing to do. They would just be building up for it. You know, they would be playing their league games with a view of starting playing championship, you know, in August. And look, to be honest, the only, t- the only two counties that wouldn't have their club players until August is the All-Ireland finalists. Everybody else would have them training during July. Some, some would have them as early as June. Like, it would be a great deal for the, for the club players. Like, for, for the majority of counties, you're having most of your uh, club players from July right, right through to the end of November. Like, isn't that what everybody's crying out for? Yeah, no, it is. Let's make it happen. What do you make of the Leitrim decision to put their semi-finals and finals behind closed doors? I, I, I couldn't believe this when I heard it in the car. Like, I mean, so 
This is in order to prevent putting club officials and county officials in a near impossible situation as regards who will gain access to the limited limited number of golden tickets. So what they've ended up doing, instead of saying let 100 people in, they're letting no one in and they're putting it on the on the streaming. What kind of an idiotic decision is this? Is 100 not better than nothing? Do the players not deserve some atmosphere at a county semi-final and a county final? And if you want to know who deserves to get the tickets, family and friends of the players. And now nobody can complain. Can Johnny up in the pub complain about one of the players' fathers and mothers getting a ticket ahead of him? What kind of logic is going into this decision? I I, I don't know. And I don't don't get how zero... I, I know where they're coming from, they want to be fair to everybody, but how is zero better than, than 200 people at, at a game? Like, I, you know, I was at a game on Saturday and, and it was a good atmosphere still, even though there's only 120, 130 fans. Like, you know, you're, it's a championship match and you're you're there roaring the team on, you're you're applauding them, you're getting on to the ref. It's, you still fall back into that and stuff that you feel like a good championship match needs as well. And I was actually thinking, geez, the ref is so bad. Thank God some of us were there to put him under a bit of pressure. Like, you know, yeah. little stuff like that. I'd hate to be watching that at home. But I, look, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to shit on the Sunday paper review because I know we'll get into that afterwards. But Michael Dignan made a really good point about, you know, they had six games in that period of lockdown and he equated that to 1,200 people getting to go to a match if that's 200 people going to a game, which is a really nice line. Like, you know, and if you're talking about semi-finals and finals across different levels, senior, intermediate, like you're over a thousand, maybe 2000 people are still getting to go to a game, which is, which is really important. And it's way better than nothing. And I just think it's mad that the least densely populated county in Ireland is the one taking, taking the lead on this. It's such a stupid, it's such a stupid theory. And I'm telling you one thing, if I had a son playing in a county final, and I was told to come home and watch that on on a on a laptop on a streaming service. I would lose my mind. I would get over a fence. It wouldn't happen. I would I would be going to that match. Like I mean, it's outrageous that they've prevented family members from not seeing their own family members on the biggest day in their club uh, careers. Like it's just so stupid. Give it to fa- give every player two tickets each, and there you go. And the the outstock down in the pub will just have to understand that. Like, I mean, uh, that they're, they have to allow the family in. And if there's some tickets left over, Johnny, for, that's a, has been a stalwart for the club all his life, come on down, you're a good man, you can come in now because there's one or two left over from immediate family that might not want them. So, like, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Emily Mulligan was given out on Twitter. He said, it's viewed as being the fairest solution to all concerned to allow access to no supporters. Would love to see our clubs take a stance on this and take on the county board. Clubs weren't even consulted on this matter. Bullshit, he said. Like, I mean, you know, this is a decision being made. I I don't know. Like, I mean, without any logic as far as I'm concerned. And to think that the clubs involved hadn't even, you know, the decency to say, are you okay with that? How will that go down? Like, I mean, who is the county board to say how a club will deal with this situation themselves? This is not a county game. This is the county board dictating the clubs that they can't divvy out the tickets as they see fit. This is not a county board issue as such. This is a club issue. I got sent a, a picture from Clano Coal Island in the Tyrone Championship and the night before some people had apparently taken out some bits of steel from the fence. I saw so that. All, yeah, they could all sneak into the game. But but that sort of shows you the appetite. And like, I didn't even think of, of that angle you're talking about there if your son was playing on it. And like, if you were that son as well, playing in your first ever county final, 
Jesus, you want your parents there or your brother or somebody coming down to, yeah. to witness it happen and, and, and to, to celebrate with afterwards? And to hug them after the game, exactly. Yeah. Interestingly, I saw that picture. It was doing the rounds on WhatsApp. But this was just a, an iron bar taken out of a fence. It could have been anywhere in the world. There was actually no proof that this was even at a GA ground. Or did you see different pictures than me? I just got a very reliable source down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was nothing. There was two pictures and it was just a generic steel fence with one piece moved to the side. And you're supposed like, <laughs> I was thinking, this, what is this? <laughs> in the darkness as well. That, and it was one in the dark. There was one of them in the dark. Yeah. What was the, what teams were they supposed to be? Just so we go, we have, we, this is not absolute concrete fact that this was either of these two clubs. <laughs> It was a uh, Clano and Cole Island, big derby on on Loch Ney up there. Um, I think it was Friday night the game was. So the the incident was uh, apparently taking place on Thursday night. Right, right, okay. If you're to believe WhatsApp pictures, anyways. But sure, look, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Who are we to say? Right, we'll leave it there and we'll come back with the newspaper review. There's some decent enough stuff in that. He was a fantastic analyst, and I mean, I really feel that he would say in your program. I think I think Tyrone are going to win. I'm going to go with them. I, as much as I I predicted Dublin to win the All Ireland at the start of the year, I just think Tyrone are going too well. They're unaffected by the other team, too well set up. I think they've been preparing for Dublin for two years. They're ready for them. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Yeah. All right, the newspaper review, Conan. We're going to start with the Sunday Indo, as usual, and start with Colin O'Rourke, as usual. And he's talking about the headline on this is time to wake up and smell the roses as we get a glimpse of the future. Um, the, the sub-headline on this is GE at central level should now be borrowing a minimum of $100 million repaid over a 50-year period. So he gets into that. Um, pretty much the, the piece is about uh, county expenses and how county boards won't be able to afford anything um, next year. He says, we're likely to go back to a more pure form of amateurism or else, or else counties that do not have a big sponsor will just show up for games without much preparation. Those counties whose sponsors have deep pockets will still get the best, thus exaggerating the gap between the rich and poor. A county team now may have to trim. This is actually very similar to what we talked about last Thursday on the back of the county board chairman um, talking about it. We're having a bit of a laugh about how they're going to have to trim it all down. Uh, I still think Colin O'Rourke reads the sh- listens to the show, but I can't, I've done a definite proof on it. Um, a county team may now have to trim um, all the extras to survive. It will be the interesting. It will be interesting if some county boards tell their players that there will be no travelling expenses, no extra gear, no meals after training, and the management team will be slimmed down to a manager and a few selectors. You can't do without a doctor or physio, as you must look after injuries and the general well-being of players. So again, a lot of a lot of uh, kind of similar stuff to what we're saying. Like I said about the backroom team is going to be slimmed down and what players are going to have to give up on. And I'm on. I've, I'm always a defender of players. And that players deserve the best and they deserve their mileage, they deserve their catering, all those things that cost a lot of money. But my argument for why they deserve those are the money they generate for the GEA. But this is a very unusual year. Intercounty players will be generating nothing this year because of crowd restrictions. So if I'm to follow my argument through, well, then intercounty players have to take a big hit this year because they're not generating anything and they have to, they'll have to forego their mileage expenses. And the, like I remember lots of times when I was playing with Leash, if we weren't getting uh, fed, 
I was probably lucky enough that we trained in Port Leash. I'd drive across to my mother's house. She'd have the dinner on in the evenings anyway. She'd make me an extra one. I'd eat it and I'd go on back up to Dublin. You need something to eat or else just pay it all down to the players that have long commutes ahead of them and get something. But that's it. If there's no money there, inter-county players are just going to have to take a big hit uh, this year and probably next year too. They are, but like the county teams and county boards, you're really just going to have to look at how they're they're running their teams as well. Like I know everyone's trying to catch up with Dublin, and <laughs> it wasn't made easy because Dublin got a lot of money given to them. But that that's also why it's really urgent as well. We talked about this on Thursday that the the sponsorship money needs to be looked at and and made fair and equal. Like we can't just have a situation where a big sponsor like AAG you're just bankrolling Dublin while everybody else is on their knees. Because I'm looking at it thinking like you could like potentially for a couple of years. Like cut costs, like you don't, you don't need a squad of forty. See, like you cut that down to twenty five. Because I, I agree, like getting rid of meals and the catering and stuff would be be a bit extreme, especially if you're traveling down to training. So, but like you don't need to feed 40, 50 people. You can feed twenty five or whatever it is, and that's saving money every night. Could you get rid of strength and conditioning? Like you know, not to say that that's not needed, but like, do you know enough now at this stage, or would you have a coach who can be multifunctional? Yeah. and help with your strength and conditioning rather than outsourcing it or using a gym or whatever you're doing and even video analysis as well I was thinking about because those programs are really expensive like can you look at a cheaper way of doing that the way a lot of clubs do it you know when you still get a lot of the the benefits from it like you, you could just be a bit smarter a bit stingier really but it, it can be done and you can still operate at that level but as long as it's not just Dublin who are able to keep operating at the same level that obviously wouldn't be fair yeah no that's it that's exactly he says my point is that a lot of young people who are part of county squads would not die of hunger if they were not fed before and after training on match days um you know like I mean it, it, it is true did it, it they always used to be able to do without it in the past but you know like I mean definitely we're agreeing that the the players that have commute should be getting fed. He says, in one way, this pandemic, and this is like the sub-headline, in one way, this pandemic offers an opportunity. The GEA at Centre Council level should be borrowing a minimum of 100 million to finance the upgrading of a number of county grants. Money will never be as cheap and should be borrowed over 50 years like they do in Australia. Improve the facilities, but don't let the money be a noose around your neck either. That sort of a capital expenditure would do wonders for local economies. Um, Yeah, I don't know. County grounds being upgraded I don't think that's a huge priority I see loads of county grounds around the, the, the country O'Moore Park's one of them O'Connor Park's another they've been upgraded they're modern they're at 15,000 capacity and they own, the biggest game they get is a county final which has about feckin 3,000 at the most O'Moore Park's never full it's a terrible waste of money it's too big it's too big and it very rarely gets inter-county games and the lower level inter-county games they, that it gets will not fill it either so like I mean I don't think that if they want to borrow money over 50 years like Colm O'Rourke is suggesting, and that seems like a good idea when money is going to be very cheap um, considering the recession that we're facing, why not use it on more important things than upgrading county grounds? I think, I honestly think it's a terrible waste of money having so many county grounds around the country and never, ever will they be full. I think you called it a, an ego trip before. And it yeah, was... Parky Key, which one? Parky Key, was it? No, yeah, I think, I think it was O'Connor Park. Park, maybe. Yeah, and yeah, Parky Cueve. There's too many of them. Mm. And like, he only, like, I like Colin Moore's use of the phrase, like, uh, having it as a noose around your neck, trying to, you know, pay back all, all this money that you're spending. And you only have to look across to the soccer world and see like, how badly the Aviva Stadium hit the Irish soccer team. And like, I know there's a lot of other stuff going on there as well, but that was a a big basis of, of where all the trouble started happening because they got so much money and investment they put into this class stadium 
but it's like you know how often is it going to be full and like at least they do get to fill it sometimes but yeah it's mad to think of all those ones around the country yeah so there's also a piece in the sunday independent it's from uh, jerry mcintyre and this is a rebuttal this is a reply to tommy conlon who wrote a piece about um sean boylan last week um a lot of people in mead didn't really like that uh, joe brawley didn't like that like i mean i don't see any harm in the piece that tommy conlon wrote at all like, I mean, if people people are constantly looking for balance and all this kind of thing that like, I mean, no one can have a strong opinion that might not be necessarily right anymore. So the headline in this is there's no darkness to be there is no darkness to be glimpsed behind a sunny facade. Uh, Sub headline is former me captain Jerry McEntee insists Tommy Conlon's memory of Gaelic football over the last 40 years is tainted. So. It's just a defence, really. I think it's a wishy-washy defence, if I'm being honest. Jerry McEntee says, there's no enigma, Mr. Conlon. What you see is what you get, a true gentleman. Um, never did I once hear him vilify any of the opposition and never once did he encourage assault and battery, as Conlon suggested. If his players overstepped the mark, and sometimes they did, myself included, they did so of their own volition, but never could it be attributed to the influence of Sean. I don't think anybody is thinking, maybe Conlon, you know, cheekily was insinuating it in some little way. I think he was more insinuating that that even if Sean Boylan didn't send them out like that, when they when they were dirty, he didn't seem to put a stop to it. I think that was more Conlon's um, suggestion than anything else. It finished up is, Sean is a wonderful human being. If anyone who knows him well will verify, and I think anybody would have that same opinion. He, go, he says and kind of compares... Um, what Conlon said about Kerry and uses one or two kind of examples to try and paint Kerry as potentially a dirty team, which they wouldn't have been. I, it wasn't much of a comeback, I didn't think, Conlon. I don't know what your t- thoughts on it were. I'm blinded by my love for Jerry McEntee, though. <laughs> Some man to fetch a ball. Oh, my God. But um, did we compare him to Patsy Bradley? That's how, that's how highly we were speaking. <laughs> but... And I still, I still like the idea of him coming out, and he, you know, it's, it started off strong the way he was, you know, referring to him as Mister Conlon, and you know, it seemed a little bit snipey. And you're, you're right, he didn't go into too much detail. I did like that he, he talked about, you know, the players at that stage, they had to do things to win, and that this is what was happening in the game, and that like that's that was natural then for the players to react to what was happening, and and we took it on ourselves and whatever else, and like that's probably true, but. I still think Conlon was right to like his biggest point was how disappointed he was in the documentary that they didn't even broach the subject or he didn't ask a question or talk to anybody about or even ask Sean Boylan himself. So I think Conlon was still right to do it. But also what I think was good from Conlon's piece is that it got a reaction from a, a player at the time who is now talking about it and even if it's wishy washy. He started a conversation about it. Oh, exactly. And I say the Sunday Indo are only delighted to actually have a piece from Jerry McEntee in in response to a piece they had from one of their own writers. So that's exactly what you want, you know what I mean, to be to be starting the conversation. Um, Dermot Crow has a piece. It's uh, total dominance can sap belief of the downtrodden. Even the greatest teams won't last forever, but that's how... Uh, but that's all opponents can cling to until they, that day finally dawns. He's talking about uh, Cora Finn's domination in in Galway mostly. He talks about Cross McGlenn's domination in Armagh and just finishes up giving Port Leash a mention about their dominance um, in Leash. And I suppose... I don't know. It's it's an all it's an all right piece. It's not it's nothing too special. He talks to Kevin Johnson, Ballin, uh, Mayo's Ballant Tubber, who lost narrowly to Cara Finn. He talks to Alterard, hit their manager Tommy Finnerty about coming up and playing them, and you know just a bit about 
their domination. And he also has a good a good piece about uh, Paddy Dyle, um, who died last Monday. So if you get a chance, all these pieces are online um, now, and you probably have to pay for them on the Independent. So in the Sunday Times, we have Michael Foley is talking about uh, students to masters. Dublin's class of 95 has a pr- produced an extraordinary generation of coaches. And he talks about of the 18 players who got game time when Dublin won the 1995 All-Ireland title, nine have been involved in as managers or selectors at senior level uh, or at senior inter-county management level. Farrell, Clark, uh, Jim Gavin, Jason Sherlock, uh, Mick Deegan, Mick Galvin, John O'Leary, Paul Beale and Pat Gilroy, Paul Curran, uh, he he managed Ballymun Kickham, so he's involved with um, at club level. Only Galway's nineteen ninety eight team, with seven former players having managed at inter county uh, level, uh, get close. I don't know. Like uh, I suppose when you look at it, you've Jim Gavin, you've Desi Farrell, and you have um, you've Pat Gilroy. They're the three big ones. And like if you've got three managers, Conan, what's the natural thing for them to do to bring in a selector from from their old you know mm. playing days? So then you've got three managers from the same team they pick one or two selectors each so now you're up you know what I mean now you're up to your nine yeah and how many times like not saying that any of these selectors were that but how many times is a selector brought in who's an old teammate just doesn't really have a clue or doesn't really care too much about about managing the team but then that's that's on their portfolio and they might pick up a job then uh, along the way um yeah, it is a natural thing to do, but it is still impressive when I was reading re- reading through some of the stuff that they've all gone on to do, and even like John O'Reary going from Wicklow to ladies teams and winning all Ireland with them. And do you know it's uh, it's, he, a, it's yeah, a good I think he got the ladies to the final in two thousand four. Don't think he won an all Ireland because when they won it recently, they they had a big ah, uh, right. they had a yeah they had a big drought. Paul Beelan obviously went uh, along and managed a few different counties. Um, it's Paul Clark who we're talking about having uh, stepped down. Um, recently, he also has a piece. I, I don't know. I like. I mean, I don't see it being unbelievably impressive. It's obviously it's not supposed. I don't mean that it's not impressive. I I, could, I just think it's easily explainable. <laughs> like there's, you know, they're they're looking after, you know, friends of theirs that they played with, and that's just it happens to have been three managers from that team getting in their own lads off the same team. You know, so I don't I don't see anything incredible about it if you know yeah. what I mean until you see seven of them managing and having success as managers then you're you're going to hold fire yeah exactly so he has another piece then the logic behind restructure of the season doesn't make it any easier to achieve um agreeing to explore a split season is only the start of a long difficult process for the GA he's talking about, uh, about uh, John Horan's um, comments in the Irish Independent and we've kind of covered this already he says the reality isn't subscribing the experience of playing club games without the encumbrance of inter-county training and games for most players over the past few weeks has been like letting spring calves loose into an open field he said and then he's talking about any concerns around further loss of media coverage having pulled the inter-county season back from September have eased given the relative resilience of the club an inter-county game against competing forces in the past two years. I'm always of the opinion that this scaremongering that goes on about, you know, you move the club game out of August or September, we'll lose all that promotion. I say whatever about the club early rounds, Conan, because we're in agreement that there isn't a huge national interest around early rounds in the club. There probably is a bit more this year because of the, you know, the year that we're after having. But absolutely, when all county finals and I've said this a hundred more times, and th- I think this is the way it will go. When the split season starts and all counties start in August at the same time, 
And everybody knows that every county is finishing up then mid to late September, that in October and November, we will have Sunday game type shows based on provincial and All-Ireland club series because it's massive. It's really enjoyable. And I know from the show here and you know yourself that those games do capture the national interest, not like inter-county, but I think they have the potential to. Definitely, and like like that that idea of trying to find the right calendar for the club players, otherwise people won't care, is is nonsense. Because I don't know the exact TV figures, but I'd say the highest for the club game is around November December when the the best of each county are taking on each other. In Definitely, the yeah, yeah. And 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 if you put all our semi-finals and finals straight after that, when the momentum is still going, yeah. you know, when everybody's involved in it, don't take an eight bloody 10, 12 week break and then throw them on in the middle of the inter-county season, you would have massive viewing figures for that semi-final and final. Mm. Really, really big with the All-Ireland finals just before Christmas and, um, you know, in the middle of December and everybody in kind of, you know, Christmas mood, let's say. And, you know, I think it would, I think, really think that there's a massive, massive opportunity for you might lose two months in August and September, but you will gain October, November and a bit of December. Mm, I agree. And I, I also, I'm just always very weary of the, it's, it's too easy to talk about the club being on its knees, like, you know, and, and, and the county being to blame for that. Like most clubs don't have county panels. <laughs> you know, if you go through every single county, most clubs don't, you know, so it's not like, it's, it's a great thing seeing all these county players back playing and it's great for them to be able to train without having to worry about training with the county as well. But like the game is fine, especially at club level. Like, and it, that's testament to it. The fact that November, December still attracts a national audience and national stories. And wherever we put it, we can definitely like work it better in the year. It will still be a success. Yeah, exactly. So in the Irish Mail on Sunday, we have a big, big long piece by Michael Dignan. Um, his tagline is the voice of hurling. Um, the headline is I'm normally very positive but it went in but it went to ground I was shattered and so disappointed he's talking about the lockdown in Leash Offaly and Kildare well he's talking about the lockdown in Offaly I wouldn't say he gives a shit about the, the lockdown in Leash and Kildare no more than I do about Offaly and Kildare um, and Kildare looks to be completely screwed we're hoping in Leash that we get ours lifted it would be great to have it lifted Friday so we get another weekend of games but I would say these people are like again you know they're just going to stick to what they originally said, even though the cases in Leash are are way down the last week. Um, and that's not a result of the lockdown. Um, so, yeah, it's a big, long piece. It's almost like a bit like a diary entry, isn't it, Conan? Like, it's almost like what he's been doing and there's nothing too exciting in it. Then I suppose he gets to the finances, which may be a little bit more interesting. He says... Um, we have an awful lot of people going through the gates. We'd have roughly 26 adult matches in football and 21 in hurling. So you'd be surprised how quickly the gate receipts would add up. So now you have a county board chairman talking about the finances. For that to be taken away when the crowd limit didn't grow, uh, didn't go up was the first blow. Um, that has been prompted. That has prompted a big discussion about where the funding for any inter-county um, is going to be sourced. There are certainly massive implications. We don't know how much money we're getting from the government, and we don't know how the GE at national level plan to distribute it. This is going to come into focus. How that's done fairly and equitably is another day's work. You know, so like I mean, he's he's obviously talking about the money issue. He goes on to say money is one issue. At this point in Offaly, would we wouldn't be in the best position to recommence inter-county training without proper finance coming in. We would if we didn't have to pay anybody. Um, but it wouldn't be in favour of asking players and management and everyone involved to forego basics such as mileage, expenses and food that the players fought very hard to get. Even though we genuinely don't have the money, there has to be 
um, funding made available, or it will likely reach, reach a stage where you'll have to pull the plug. So that, I thought that was the most important, most you know, interesting thing. County board chairman talking about pulling the plug on intercounty. You said it being like a diary entry as well. Yeah, it was just a really nice sort of human piece, and you got to see his side of it, like, and, and how much he's done to try and get it back lifted again, and then just to have a, a kick in the teeth. And then he's, he's very, yeah, he's very real fears about that. And I'd say probably the most frustrating thing, and I know that you've talked about this, but there, he was talking about it in Oslo, there hasn't been a case in the GA, so we're very yeah. well on top of all that. And it, it probably shows as well how important it is, at the very least, for the, the county game to go ahead, though. Like, I, I know his his sort of back and forward there was like can you pay them or can you ask them to not be like given their expenses just now or whatever but the GA needs money and the way to do that best is for a county game and hopefully later in the year to be allowed to have bigger crowds and and that can help every county and geez like <laughs> could they even start looking again at a better structure like just to bring in more money never mind anything else no ulterior motive can awfully be guaranteed three or four games so that they can get a crowd of three or four games to everywhere? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's going to be knockouts, so they're not going to do that. Yeah. He's a, he has a bit of a touch at Michal Martin. I know Taoiseach Michal Martin's son is involved with ne- in Nemo Rangers, but to hear that he didn't realise the 200 crowd limit included players, officials, was dispiriting. Dispiriting, to say the least, that the Taoiseach didn't even know that and practically hinted that that's going to change. And then didn't change. So you just have to wonder how much influence Michal Martin um, has when it comes to making these decisions or are they just going so scared by the medical, you know, advice that they can't balance it out. You know, it doesn't seem to be any deaths as far as I can see um, anymore. It's all young people getting it and they're not dying. So for me, without being a medical expert here, Conan, because everyone's a medical expert these days, is it not make more sense to tell all the old people and vulnerable people year lockdown? everybody else isn't would that not make more sense and if you live with family members and your family member lives with an old person or a person um with uh that is vulnerable and they choose to go out and they choose to take the risk of bringing that back into their house is that not their own personal responsibility that they have to be responsible for why are we all why is the answer always lockdowns where everybody suffers I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated by Connor. There has to be another answer. <laughs> old people are people too, will they? Like, do you know yeah, but well, listen, the old people doesn't change. We're all locked down. They just become locked. They just stay that way. And everybody else that it's not going to kill can go on about their, their lives. Or else what, the about, whole, what about for Mickey Hart? Can he not come out and manage their own while, while he's locked down and everybody else is carrying on? He'll have to wear a gas mask. He'll have to wear full uh, PPE uh, equipment. Or he could do it over a Zoom call or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think about poor Mickey Hart. The the Philip Langan or Lanigan has a piece as well with Tom Cribben. Uh, don't have too much time to go into that. He Tom Cribben is fairly pessimistic. Like, I mean, it, it depends on the you know the person's outlook on these things and their you know levels of worry or what kind of you know way to want to put it. He says, I find it very hard to see the county going ahead this year. He says. I think they would be better off concentrating on club because it's very important for underage in particular. I've probably never seen as many club players training. They've really missed it when they couldn't have it. Uh, I don't see the benefit of not having it. And the club has been decided. I don't think the GA could go now and say we're scrapping intercounty and continuing on with the provincial clubs. Maybe they could. I don't know. It just seems a little bit old, a bit late in the day for that um, 
uh, a little bit late in the day for that argument. He goes on then and makes a good point about uh, Kildare Leash and Offaly. He said, we shouldn't panic and try to force an intercounty thing into a six or eight week period into November, December, when the weather will probably be very poor. People wouldn't enjoy going to matches as much. I think we should take our time, run the club scene properly and let counties in Croke Park re, uh, recess financially. Make sure we're on a st- strong financial footing for next year. Then he talks about the Kildare thing. Um, he says the county players, they're enjoying their football at the moment. If, we're, if we weren't trying to rush the club scene off in a matter of weeks, I think they'd actually enjoy it more. We probably should get to the end of September, October with the club scene, with a lot of players still playing. If we're going into next year as, um, as a normal year, most county players will be back, nearly starting back in November anyway. His argument is obviously to, to continue the club season until October, November and start afresh um, next year. Look, to be honest with you, it's not the worst argument in the world if the club continued on and pushed the inter-county to next year, especially with all the county boards complaining about money. But what you wouldn't want is for the inter-county to be scrapped and for us not to finish out the club provincial yeah. in Ireland series. Like, you know, the inter-county isn't starting until, what, Halloween or something like that? Like, the club can carry on if it wants, just without the county players. Like, get, get your championship done before... The, the time you're told to get it done and you can keep playing if you want. Like t- Tom Cribben also said it was important to keep the club game going for underage reasons because it's very important for them, but it's also important for them to be watching the best on TV and seeing the county play and like, you know, being inspired by that. So I didn't really, didn't really agree too much with that. And like if the county game's playing in November, December, I don't see how that's really impacting underage club GA. Yeah, no, I, exactly. And like, I'm finally getting to the bloody part where he talks about Lee Shuffley and Kildare being a uh, um, disadvantage. Obviously, Lee Shuffley and Kildare, their club championship have been put back. So their championships are going to be pushed on in to, to October, uh, potentially. So the county team is not going to have, you know, county semi-finalists, finalists. So it's definitely going to affect Leash Kildare and Offaly's preparation for the Leinster Championship. Will anybody make? Will it make any bit of posy odds in the Leicester Championship, which Dublin is going to win very, very easily, anyways? Probably not. It would be. It would probably be a, a bigger story if it was three Ulster counties, because don't we know Con and Ulster still think they have a very competitive championship up there? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is as well that the fact of a straight knockout yeah, is really harsh, and we talked about, say, like Leicester playing Lowes and Longford, who play each other the week before, and they'll have the benefit of league games. Going into a straight knockout, Leash won't have a chance to recover. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be out if they lose, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. So we get on to the Sunday world just to finish up. Um, and we have Pat Spillane, our old friend who never disappoints. I actually enjoyed his piece this week. He has a nice day. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> he has a nice... Well, I like the way he... I like when Spillane's out for blood. Sometimes I think he's too political these days. And like he has a nice little cut at the Ulster... Ulster um, no by the way. Well, that's why you didn't like it, right? So he says, he, he starts off talking about the government. It's a little mishmash of everything, a bit like Pat Spillane pieces. So the the the, the headline is, Corrafin keep us believing. Uh, they never brag about their achievements or lecture other clubs and how the game should be played. And then says, Kingpins make a mockery of spoofers and, recap the full, re, or, and reap the full rewards by focusing on football's core skills. So I saw you tweeting about this. Um that he says he's talking about Corrafin anyways and he says they've never got the recognition they deserve for their achievements or the quality of football they play unfortunately for them their period of dominance has run parallel to Dublin's amazing uh, run at Ireland level and they have grabbed most of the spotlight I don't agree with that at all I don't know does Pat Spillane read the media or like 
listen to shows or anything, I don't think anybody has any doubt how brilliant Corofin are. I think they have got a huge amount of credit. I do think, I don't think it's anything to do with Dublin's uh, dominance because one happens in March and the other happens in September. I do think that having the All-Ireland final mixed in with the, le- the Intercounty League absolutely affects the amount of coverage they potentially could have gotten, though. Yeah, potentially, but like that's the thing. Everybody in Ireland respects and they they talk and they laud Corrigan. Like you know, they haven't gone under the radar, and that's that's what I was tweeting about. It seemed like that Splat had just heard about them recently, and he, he thought he would tell us all about this amazing team that he's heard from about in Galway and. You know, he's going through your stats again. Like you don't need to do that. Everybody knows the whole Corofin team. That everyone aspires to Corofin, and like part part of the reason as well. Like I know, like the the Ulster thing was strange. Like he just had a real bee in his bonnet about an entire province. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and the article was a mess. You mentioned that going from Neffet to Corofin to Ulster. But he like he was talking like about Corofin being the antidote to things like stats and analysis and strength and conditioning. Like as, as if. Cora Finn don't engage with any of that stuff. Like the yeah. the Uxerard manager was in one of those pieces in the, in the Sunday in the Sunday papers, and he was talking about the strength and condition of Cora Finn, and that was the big difference that he noticed between them and every other team that they, they've ever played. Like Cora Finn are a, almost a professional outfit, and they think that they're just playing the game and kicking the ball and going home on a Tuesday and Thursday is is insane from possible. <laughs> no, it is, and it, then he says essentially they're the club version of Dublin. And that's the biggest accolade I can bestow on them. The only comparison there really is more the, the dominance and the the brilliance. But Corofin play a much much um, more kicking game than Dublin. Like I mean, Dublin def- maybe Dublin when Jim Gavin took over first, you might compare a bit more to Corofin. But Corofin kicked the ball uh, an awful lot more than Dublin. I just wonder though if Dublin had the opportunity, like the like Corofin do. You know, Dublin did kick the ball; they were the big entertainers and teams just got more and more defensive against them. Like, I still think when the pass is on, they, they move it as fast as they can. Yeah. But they just don't always have that chance. And especially at club level, like, there's going to be way more gaps than Corofin just exploited. Yeah, maybe. So this is the part I did like. So um, he's talking about Corofin never bragging about their achievements or lecturing other clubs and how the game should be played. Their attitude contrasts sharply with their GA brethren in Ulster, who at county level have a habit of lecturing the rest of us on how Gaelic football should be played. After Down became the first county to bring Sam Maguire across the border, they suggested that they were the first county to introduce tactics into Gaelic football. This is back in the 60s now. The late Joe Lennon was quoted as saying Kerry football was 10 years behind the times. Since their breakthrough success in 1960, Down has won four more All-Ireland titles, the last coming 26 years ago. In that period, behind the times, Kerry have won 18 titles. So I like the way he's, uh, ah, look, listen. I have no problem with that. In the wake of Armagh's breakthrough win in 2002, they told us that their success was all about physicality, use of defensive system and the deployment of psychologists. I'm not sure Armagh told us that. That was the analysis, you know. And then he talks, he talks about Throne. In their All-Ireland victory in 2003, Throne went a step further with their swarm defences allied to a running game as they introduced a new word, transition to GA Lexicon. In fairness, Throne did win three more titles. I... I, I 
Listen, he's just out for blood. I don't mind anyone who's ever just out for blood and he's settling a few old scores that he's pissed off. Because I do think Pat Splann is trying he's trying to appease everybody now rather than I did I I, I liked him when he was public enemy number one against the Ulster counties. Because like they didn't like to hear it, but he wasn't that far wrong about Ulster being a more defensive it's true, it's a more more defensive province than the rest. I know Ulster counties try to say that other other provinces do it as well, and they're right. But Jesus, there for five or six years, Ulster football was absolutely desperate stuff. Oh, probably, probably longer. Like I, I, I would, I would agree with that. But I don't think that anybody in Ulster lectures anybody. I think actually the reason Ulster is so defensive is because they're not brash enough to come out and brag about how great they are. They just close up shop. And I don't know. And like apart from apart from your mate and down, like he's, he's taking the the courses, and everyone seems to like hate seeing his face popping up. Like. I don't think anybody's coming out and talking about how how great Ulster is and how much it's, it's far better. I actually think you said it's a settling old scores. I just think it's probably a hang-up from that great Kerry team who lost to Armagh, lost to Tyrone, lost to Down even, and Donegal in big games. And he probably just hasn't gotten over that. Maybe. That's a nice way to leave it, yeah. But or he actually brought up the fact that Kerry beat them in the All-Ireland Final in... Uh, 2014, uh, an aging Kerry side. <laughs> he really, yeah, okay. yeah, he was trying to put the boot into McGuinness. Yeah, he really went for Ulster. It's like the old school Pat Spillane. Bring him back, that's what I say. <laughs> um, right, we'll leave it there, Colin. That's always time for. We'll be back on Thursday um, as usual and we'll have an interview for you and we will uh, look ahead to the club matches as well, as well as a bit of news. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so... It opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today, because like I, I'm hard, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.